Italian Wine Podcast is a proud media partner of Wine to Wine 2020. This November 23rd and 24th is the 7th edition of the business forum Wine to Wine, featuring 70 sessions dedicated to the wine industry. Normally held in Verona, Italy, this is the first ever full digital edition of the forum. On November 21st, Wine Spectator will kick off the proceedings with a free-to-register opera wine presentation, featuring the 100 best Italian wines of the year. Wine to Wine 2020. Tickets available at winetowine.net. Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast with me, Monty Walden. My guest today is Thomas Curtius, who is a master of wine. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you, Monty. Happy to be here. Now, Thomas, you're you're quite a force in the wine world, and our listeners would surely want to know what it was that drew you to wine, uh, because you seem to have had or had a very well-rounded previous career. So, for the benefit of our listeners, what exactly was your previous career, and how did you ultimately become a master of wine? Oh, this is really a long story. I don't know how much time we have, but okay. Yeah, I will keep it keep it short. So, yeah, I was born in Franconia, so not in Swabia where I'm living now. I went Franconia in Würzburg, so in the middle of a of a wine region, you can say. But in the first part of my life, I was really more with uh, journalism. So when I started, I studied in 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 Mainz, so this is near Frankfurt, and I studied there journalism, economy, and politics. And I, my, my first, how can I say, my, uh, my first attempt into life was really going into journalism. I worked there for newspapers. I worked for um, German TV stations. So I, I was an editor for the first German news television um, station. It was in Berlin after my studies. And um, during this time, I got into the connection with the automotive industry and I um, was then hired to come to, to Stuttgart, working there for an automotive uh, manufacturer to build up a kind of television communication department at that time. Yes, and uh, my direct connection with wine started at that time because, you know, we, we did a lot of events, also, especially also in Italy. And there I came into contact with really um, great wines and so my, my, my interest sparks, uh, sparked at that time just to know a little bit more about, about wine. And at that time, my, my, my girlfriend, and now she's now my, my wife, I got from her wine seminar as a gift at that time. And this was the beginning then. Then I, I started doing wine seminar. I, I took other courses, sensorial courses, first at the German Wine Institute, then I started, I think it was 2007, I started with the WSET diploma at that time. Yes, and after the diploma, I thought, okay, maybe I know what I should know about wine. But, you know, Monty, I think that's the same um, like everybody who's bitten by the wine bug. You can't stop. And so then I had the, the chance to go into the Master of Wine program. Yeah. And then I started at that time. And luckily, I think um, it was now one year ago. And this day or tomorrow, one year ago, I got my certificate in London. 
And I think these were really different times from now. So this was it in a nutshell, my career. So do you, do you think some of the qualities that make a good journalist are, are some of the same qualities that can serve someone studying wine and getting to know, I don't know, far-flung parts of the globe and the unique wines each territory produces? Yeah, I think I'm a kind of a curious guy. So, um, and I was always interesting in, in interested in looking behind things and, and, and discover more and, and ask, or since I was a boy, a, a lot of questions. And, and I was really impressed when I, when at, at the, the, at these times it was in the 1980s when the private news television like CNN came up and they started with these live broadcasting from all over the world. You know, this time Peter Arnett opened his luggage and he's the satellite equipment in his luggage. And he did these live TV things. Today you do it with your mobile phone. <laughs> also quite different time. But this was something which really hooked me. And this was something where I thought I could bring um, something or give, give something back to the society, uh, sharing knowledge and communicating things. And yeah, this was the beginning for me. And I, I always was interested in storytelling, yeah? listening to stories, but then also tell stories in a different way and to make things um easy to get for others yeah make different or difficult things try to communicate them in an easier way that people understand this this was my my kind of feeling when i went into that thing and you know with journalism every day you get other other people to meet you uh, get get other information new things to experience and to explore and yeah this hooked me from the first day so these days the wine consumer has access to loads of information at their fingertips and you really focus on storytelling and using human stories to open up the world of wine for enthusiasts. Do you think people are generally overwhelmed by the choices of information available or do you think we have benefits that previous generations didn't necessarily have? I think I think you have both. I think today it's it's much different from some some years ago. So I think today you have this kind of bandwidth of kind of wine communication. You have a lot of people and a lot, lot of blogs and podcasts and videos where people explain in a very interesting and I think very compelling ways uh, way wine in an easier way than just in that mood or in that style that you talk just to people um, which which have a, a, at least as no, a, as much knowledge as you have but i think even today i think sometimes and this is something i experience for myself we are sometimes so enthusiastic about wine and we all are in this kind of bubble that sometimes i think everybody of us forgets that um, there might be people who who don't know so much therefore i like it for instance not just doing master classes, classes with experts, but but doing also a lot of wine communications for the for the um, in brackets uh, normal consumer because you get so many questions which are so basic but so important that it brings you down and it it always helps me just to come back to the ground and to the scratch and also to 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 think about how I'm personally communicating about wine. So I think this is something which I see today more and more that you find this more approachable way. Yeah? And you don't have these gatekeepers like you had in the past where just a few people talk about wine. Today you have so many channels, so many information sources, so many peers also talking about wine. 
that I think it's much more democratic today and it's much more diverse and interesting also for the uh, people who are not so deeply involved into that. I think the same thing with other things. I'm from, from I'm a co coffee guy. I like drinking coffee, but I'm, I'm not the guy who wants to discover every different bean. But also I found some interesting coffee blocks, for instance, where I said, hey, now I really understand what they mean with that and that. And I think this has, this is a huge benefit of the social media, of the internet and the different sources we have today. Can you, can you give an example of how storytelling can help Italian wine producers introduce foreign markets to grape varieties or wine styles? Is Etna the best example? Where else can Italian producers capitalize to create an engaging narrative? Uh, no, this was, um, I, I think you found it on my website. This was, I, I, sometimes I take Mount Etna as an example to show how you can communicate a region um, to a broader audience and to get your feet on the ground if you have um, stories to tell. This Mount Etna thing, the last thing I did, it was for the for a Serbian wine community. There was a conference about Prokupac, that is an indigenous grape variety from Serbia. And the question was, how can we mark an uh, uh, indigenous grape like this outside Serbia? And I, I took Nerello and Mount Etna as an example. Same, I took Blaufrankisch for, for Austria. How you can communicate an indigenous thing or a region which is not very well known at the time in a proper way just to get your message out and that the people um, recognize you and that the people and say, hey, this is interesting and get curious about what you are doing. And the message is spread afterwards. Are these natural history stories, for example, or are these personal stories that focus on the human element? Um, so, no, for me, the, the point was I started in a more holistic way. I said I, I came from the, from the region and from the grapes saying, okay, what are, when you're talking about the tradition, how it is grown, and of course, then also the grape properties, but Coming, for instance, the Mount Etna saying you have these kind of higher altitude wine, you have these um, you have very interesting people um, coming into the region like Frank Cornelison, for instance. You have also people living in the region for a long time, adapting things, interpreting um, and traditions in a new way and have these kind of personal stories spread. I think this is, when, when we are talking um, on, a, on a bigger scale, I think this is in, in most cases more interesting than just talking about these grape properties. Yeah, because I think what I see in communication always, you need a meaning for anything and you need a kind of frame around and um, a context. And if you, if you have an interesting context to tell the people, I think then it's easier to understand also the specific properties of a wine if I get a little bit more information about the region. If I have an interesting winemaking personality who tells me his story or her story and uh, why he's doing things, then I remember and then I'm getting curious, especially when we are talking about the, the consumer who are not um, just being a sommelier, but even the sommelier has, uh, needs a story to tell um, his clients. So, and coming um, around with this kind of storytelling and look what is different, what is interesting, like Mount Etna coming also, of course, with the volcanic soil, the altitude, which make the region special and interesting people telling their stories how they approach things, how they do things differently, do more in a natural way, in a low intervention aspect or whatever. So I think this creates attention 
And, and this, to my mind, is the most what's the interesting part in communication to tell these stories. So can you summarize the takeaways from Etna in three words, for example? I think, I think in three words is difficult, but I think it's always the general thing is you have people, what I said, coming, interesting people coming from outside into a region, discover things which are in that region, but which might be a little bit forgotten from the outer world and create a new spark. This is like the Etna when you have people, like I said, Frank Cornelison, for instance, but you can also go to, um, for, to Priorat when you have René Barbier and, and his colleagues and you find these examples from many places. And, and I think this is something which always interests me. Okay. So on your blog, um, you've been writing about the wines of Georgia. What makes these wines unique for you? I think there are two things which really impress me. And one thing is when you come from the from the traditional side. Yeah. So if you have these uh, wines in the Amphora and the Cavalry. So this is something which I really found extremely interesting, having these wines which are six months or longer on skins in the in the vessels buried down in the earth, which gives you these complex incredibly intense yet elegant wines. This is one thing. And the other thing is that I'm really impressed um, if you see also the people behind um, these these wines, uh, people who create these, who are people who are really incredible, proud of their home, of their traditions, but who also do this in a very modern and in a very open and inclusive way. So um, hosting you and treating you very well, being very humble, and and this combination um, of humble people and, and great wines, this is something which always they, it always gets me. So, Thomas, this year you were judging uh, the five star wine competition for Vinity International, and you did that remotely in your house, um, having had the wines sent to you and your other colleagues. I mean, did you enjoy that experience? And how did you how did you um, communicate with each other when you were deciding the point score for each particular wine? Yeah, this was really an, an, an absolutely interesting experience for me because it was really the first time that I did this kind of hybrid judging, how I call it in, in these modern in these modern words, because like they sent us the wines in boxes covered, so it was completely anonymized, and and then we we were we shared a kind of video conference over the whole day when we were judging, and you could see each other doing these judgings it was not a it was it was not an exchange at that time regarding okay sharing the points so everybody had uh, specific lots and judged these and others i think they they had similar um, uh, lots so they could compare it afterwards but um, the interesting thing was really this kind of sitting at home, but joining the community and, and tasting in a way that, of course, you were at home, but you really felt at that time connected to so many peoples all over Europe and all over Italy, which gave me really a kind of special feeling doing this. And, you know, this was in that phase when we were still in the first lockdown, so um, it was really also a new experience because before, okay, you just know this, I do things completely dry as a kind of webinar or even then on-site, which we do hundreds of times. And I, this was really special. And I think 
of course it was from the organizational side for the for the win italy guy really i think it was a mess for them to pack all the boxes and to send them around that everybody has them on the same day so a huge logistic effort and that really impressed me also mm -hmm. and um, in terms of the wines what um, what stood out for you What, what stood out for me, I think this is the wines I tasted. I had a really a, an interesting range over several uh, regions. And what I always like for myself, but this is, of course, not just about judging, is I like wines with freshness. I like wines with character. I like wines. Um, they speak their, their own language. They speak their origin. And they tell you just more than, oh, I'm this and this grape variety. And they found really very interesting characters. And especially also from, from styles, like some very interesting um, Lambrusco wines. I had very some interesting um, Prosecco. And uh, yeah, this as a whole, the, the, the whole situation in combination with really these very interesting wines and also knowing the situation uh, for the wine industry at that time, that, that also these kind of judging and also these kind of communication and also these kind of marketing, how important is this for them? These are things who all come together then judging these things. Just a, a quick thing on sparkling wine. I used to work with a, a master of wine called Christopher Donaldson. I'm sure you've met him. And he used to work at Harrods in London and uh, a wine, another wine shop in London where we met. He always said he found um, tasting sparkling wines was always really, really difficult. Do you, do you feel the same way or do you think um, sparkling wines are easy? I think, to, to be honest, I think sparkling wines, of course, the, the point is always, yeah, a little bit when and, and how you taste these wines. I think in the situation like sitting at home, opening them directly so that you also that there's no delay between pouring them discussing with others and you're losing time until you can try them and you also had because you have your box at home you can also retaste some things which makes it easier i'm i also share the impression that it's not as easy because of course but it's like with also other styles they take their time so when you open the bottle freshly you pour it and you taste it directly it, it, You miss something, maybe, so it's always good to have more time doing these things. But if you have more time, like this time we had, I think then it makes for me uh, no big difference. Yeah, you have also other styles which don't scream in the beginning, which need some air, which, which need some settlement and um, for a proper judgment. But I think, yeah, this is, this is with, with sparkling wine, it can be difficult, yeah. So you're affiliated with the Wine and Spirit Education Trust's International advisory board what does that involve the alumni advisory board um, we are kind of like it said an advisory board for the wset it's about as alumni to help or to advise the um, wset a little bit in okay how could we strengthen the network with the alumni and i think this is something which is really one of the big pluses of the big um, you can say the jewels of the the gems of the WSET that have such a broad network and I think it's such a big benefit for every everybody who has passed the course who's part of the WSET family for jobs for further education for inspiration to exploit this network and our job or our our purpose is just to develop ideas, to organize events, to um, think about how to communicate to the alumni, 
to strengthen the network and to establish new connections. And we are, there's a representative from every continent and we are linked um, to uh, the different alumni networks which exist within the WSET, a kind of sounding board also for the, for the WSET management. So that um, I think we developed some nice ideas, um, really how to strengthen things, yeah, to do some tastings, but also do some workshops to um, organize exchanges, yeah, just to bring people together. Okay. Now you've also got a consulting business, uh, Curtis Wine Consulting. What is that about? Yeah, it's a it's a kind of a wine communication agency. So in a broad sense, so on the, on the one hand, developing for customer, helping on going onto a market, market launch, when you're on a market, doing, um, doing communications there, organizing masterclasses, developing new um, marketing concepts, bringing also people together, creating networking, creating new ideas, and especially yeah, organizing PR and marketing efforts. Yeah, for instance, we're doing, and my, my wife, she's uh, in charge of the agency. We're doing the communication for Wine Australia in Germany, for instance. Yeah, doing the roadshows, organizing fairs like the Pro Wine, answering questions, doing journalist trips, and so on and so on. How did you meet your wife? I couldn't resist, sorry. How did you meet your wife then? We meet quite early at university sitting together in the auditorium during a really, a really boring politic lecture. But I think it was the most useful lecture in my life <laughs> because this is now about 27, 28 years ago and we are still together. So really good effort of her. <laughs> but you, you, I mean, you sound like you're, you're a teenager when you speak. I'm, I'm an absolute teenager with 51, so I'm not sure if I'm really a teenager. It depends on the perspective, you know, Monty. Okay. Now, you used to work in TV and also for automobile uh, manufacturers, which is obviously a very important part of the um, German economy. Just tell us a bit about that period of your life. And then was that the stepping stone into wine? Yeah, they, I think all were, were these kind of small parts of a pieces of a puzzle you know i think for the when we were talking before about the tv things was creating pictures storytelling kind of of communicating things start of telling stories in a different way um thinking in advance how to tell stories because when you do tv and especially at these times you had a huge equipment to take with you compared to what you need today so you you needed also good planning of doing things and then the the automotive industry, as I told you, it was then when you when it brought me on the one hand, which was also important, getting management experience, how to talk people in management, how to handle things on a bigger scale, um, but also like I said, coming in touch with wines uh, during events in different regions, yeah, and, and then being inspired also by people who who are or were already or at that time knew much more about these wines than I did. And but who really inspired me to taste different things and uh, wanting to know more about them. Are you, you're a bit of a foodie, and I'm going to invite you for dinner metaphorically this evening, an Italian meal, and you must turn up with three, three wines. You haven't, you've got no idea what is on the menu, so you're going to have to be pragmatic and think something that is 
good everyday wines that will go with almost anything. So uh, one for um, the aperitif, one for the main course, and one for um, after dinner. Yeah, so I think when I don't know the food, so for me, I would go for my, my own mood and I would try to bring you some different but hopefully interesting stuff. So I would go, I would go to bring you a great, for the aperitif, a great German sect with me. Yeah, something um, special one which you haven't tried before. For the main um, course, I would go for an Australian Italian grape variety. For instance, going, um, they have also these kind of Italian grapes growing in Australia. For instance, I would bring a Nebbiolo from the King Valley with me. It's just something you might not have tried before. And for the dessert, I would go, nah, it, depend, it would depend a little bit on my mood. Um, something maybe also some fresh, refreshing, maybe also another German one going for a nice Auslese or something like this with Givi, with low alcohol, with freshness, which brings back the energy after a great dinner, which we would have. Okay. Tomorrow morning, your wife wakes up and says, I want us to go and live in Italy tomorrow. And both of you are guaranteed work and jobs and mortgage and everything. So there's no financial stress. <laughs> uh, where would you go? Where would you choose? And would your wife agree with you? That's the key thing. So where to go? Yeah. You can only choose one region. One, uh, just one region. So um, I would, to be honest, I would go to Alto Adige. Yeah, okay. And you know what? I want to know why, because we wanted to go there the next weeks, but now with the lockdown, we can't. But if we would have the opportunity to go now, then we would really go to share a lot of great food with great friends we have there. And But of course, if you would offer us then to go to another region. Maybe we want to drive a little bit further to the Valpolicella. Oh, nice, Veneto. Well, obviously, you're a very busy guy, but I'm sure you're busy on social media. How can people find you online or via social media? So that's very easy. Online, you find me under www.thomas-curtius.com. That's my website. That's quite easy. You find me also on Facebook. Thomas Kurzus, quite easy. And then on Instagram with TC um, Unplugged. I just want to say thanks to my guest today, Thomas Kurtius, for taking us on a bit of a whirlwind from study to food to wine. We hope to see you again on the podcast to catch up. Um, you're a very busy man, always changing, doing, doing different things. So we'll have to get you back on the podcast and find out what um, happens to you over the next couple of years. Take care. Thank you. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.